Go ahead and uh, pull out your Bibles, something to take notes with this morning. So we have turned the screen off on the morning that I need the screen more than I've ever needed it. So it's the devil, but we're going to go anyways. That's right. Because, uh, I don't know, I'm just not going to hold back. Somebody touch a neighbor and say, do not hold back. Anybody been here for our series, Do Not Hold Back, the last couple of weeks? Four of us, okay. We believe church is a participation sport. Anybody been here the last couple of weeks for Do Not Hold Back? Anybody believe you're ready? God is on the move, and it's going to be a good year. 2019, open up to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Uh, you are going to need something to take notes with this morning, especially because we don't have a screen. Uh, we're going we're gonna to cover a lot this morning, and uh, I, was, I was nervous about doing this much, but then I just thought, you know what? I'm just not going to hold back. So here we go. I was talking uh, with a friend this week, and one of the life group leaders, a couple life group leaders in our church, and uh, we were having lunch, and I was asking them how life group had been going uh, the last handful of weeks, and I was asking them how discussion had been going kind of around the series that uh, we've been having the last few weeks. Anybody in life group love your life group? Anybody? Anybody? Life group's amazing. And so I was just asking, hey, how's it going? How's the conversation and the discussion going around what we're talking about? Because, you know, I, I, I don't want, like, church isn't, like, the pinnacle on Sunday, you know? Like, the pinnacle is when we walk with God day in and day out. And I'm like, I don't want to just get anybody fired up on a Sunday and have it not matter Monday. So how, how, what's God doing? Is it, is it landing in people? Or how, how's conversation going? And so they were telling me a little bit about uh, the conversations that they have been having. So... Uh, I asked him just how was life group last night. I was I was with him the day after life group, and he said life group was amazing and it was awesome. And it's always fun to hear that life group is amazing. Again, anybody think life group is amazing? Life group is is amazing. So I asked him specifically how discussion was around uh, the message from last week, which was talking about I'm ready. Anybody believe you're ready? I'm ready. We need to believe if we're not going to hold back this year, it's going to start with us believing that we're ready for what God's calling us to. So many times what holds us back isn't a circumstance or whatever. It's just we don't believe we're ready. So we just say no. But God's saying, do not hold back. You're ready. You're ready. So I asked, how, how was conversation around that? And he said, well, the first question uh, about life group was, uh, he asked, okay, uh, you know, where's an area in your life that you don't believe that you're ready? And I was so excited to hear about this awesome conversation that they had. And he said, well, everybody's first answer was like, well, I don't even know what I'm called to. So if I knew, I would totally believe I was ready, you know. And he was like, oh, well, if you did know, would you believe you're ready? You know, so he did a great job recovering from that. But I was so frustrated because I was like, dang it. This message that I thought came out kind of well clearly didn't, it just kind of missed the mark because if we're not even clear on what we're called to, then I can't just stand up here and shout about being ready. I was like, dang it. Felt like I had wasted my time. So I was a little frustrated, but then I got excited. But then I got excited because I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how the, the first thing that's going to hang you up this year, one of those things is going to be this belief that I'm not ready. And I told you that after week one of this series, do not hold back. The, the goal of the rest of January is not just to get you fired up, but it's to tell you about the things that are going to hold you back. Number one is I'm not ready. If you have that thought this year, I'm not ready. You heard it here first. It's not true. You're ready. Tell the devil, no, pastor told me, Bible says I'm ready. 
What are these things that are going to hold you back? And so I was, I was a little frustrated, but then I got excited because I realized that next week I was going to preach a message about the lie that we believe that just says, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. That's going to hold you back this year. And when God says, hey, I want you to go, go do what I'm calling you to do, it's like, I don't, I don't even know what to do. Like, I would love to not hold back. I would love to believe I'm ready, but I just don't know what to do. And so... At first, what I was frustrated about got me excited because I thought maybe God's just shifting the direction of the series a little bit. So I thought, I'm not going to hold back this message until next week. We're going to talk about it this week. I want to go after the lie that you might be believing over the last few weeks as we've been talking about the call of God. Do not hold back. Let's do what God's calling us. I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm not going to ask if you've ever thought that before. We'll just assume we're all on the same page. Because <laughs> like I said last week, this could just be me, but I have a feeling it's not. I sure know what it's like to have the thought, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. So I want to challenge you this morning on uh, a few things. And I want to preach a message to you. It's not going to be on the screen because we don't have it, but you do have your notes. Everybody have your notes? At the top of your page, I want to preach part three of this series, Do Not Hold Back to You. I want to title this message, The Concept of Calling. The Concept of Calling. And I'm just going to go right after this thought, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Because I want to challenge you this morning because I wonder if what's holding you back is not so much a lack of clarity on your calling, but an inaccurate concept of calling. I don't even know what God's call is. I would love to do it, but I don't even know what it is. I want to challenge you this morning that your problem might not be a clarity problem. It might be a concept problem. I want to preach to you this morning the concept of calling. The concept of calling. i have be open up to Genesis 37, and like I said, I'm doing something ambitious this morning. Uh, we are going to go over the whole life of a guy named Joseph. And it covers like 15 chapters, which, if you're new to the Bible, is a lot. Uh, so we're going to see how this goes. We're going to do big overview, okay? So we're going to fly through some things. We're going to hit some verses along the way. Really, this should be like, like a, probably like a six-part type of teaching, but we're going to do it all today in the next 33 minutes and six seconds. Not going to hold back, and we'll see how it goes. So buckle up. We might be here till 1, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I thought, you know, we could, we could wait and do this in multiple parts, but we're already halfway through January and ain't nobody got time for that. So we're doing it all today. Somebody say, I'm ready. I'm ready. So make sure you have your notes out. So Joseph, we're in chapter 37 of Genesis. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to the story, you're going to get a big overview. You might feel a little bit lost, but everybody just hang on because I'm about to talk a lot. And then we're going to start to land the plane pretty far later. So just take a lot of notes. Choose to stick with me when you want to get up and leave. And we're going to make it all to the end together. Somebody shout, I'm ready. <laughs> talk to you about Joseph this morning. Verse 30, or chapter 37, verses 2 through 11. I'm going to read them as we get started. Uh, these are the generations of Jacob. So Jacob is Joseph's dad. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So Joseph's a little brother, and we already introduced he's telling on the older brothers. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, 
any, of, any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. So he's, the, he's young, he's telling on the older brothers, he's the favorite of dad and dad's giving him special swag. Verse four, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Is anybody shocked by that? No. So far, everything's making perfect sense. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now he's got ambition, this guy. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him again, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Joseph's struggling. He's the social cues. He's not really getting it, right? <laughs> Verse nine. Then he dreamed another dream. Good job, Joe. And told it to his brothers. And he said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. He didn't learn the first time. Keep the dreams to yourself. <laughs> behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, now his father's in the mix. Dad rebukes him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? He would, dad was cool when the brothers were bowing down, but now shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So here's Joseph. He's struggling. He's got some older brothers. He's in an interesting bit of a situation. But the main point that I want you to pick up is Joseph is 17 years old and Joseph has a dream. Joseph has a dream. He has a dream for his life. He's got these dreams from God. He's got a call from God. Joseph has a calling. Joseph has a calling when he's 17. He's gonna be great. He's gonna be raised up. And his family, they're all gonna come. They're gonna bow down to him and they're gonna serve him. He's the little brother, but they're about to bow down to him. This is what God is speaking over his life. Now, maybe you don't have a dream like Joseph had a dream. Like maybe you haven't had dreams in the night of like, wow, this is the thing God is calling me to. And, and obviously the whole point of this message is we're talking about this question. I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what my calling is. But I, I, would, I would think that it's a fair assumption that maybe you haven't had a dream like Joseph has had a dream, but you have had like dreams. You, you, you had some dreams. You, maybe you've thought about how your life is gonna go. Maybe you've had some thoughts about that or how you want it to go, how you would like for it to go. Maybe you've dreamed, you've, you've had thoughts, you've uh, entertained the possibilities of how God might use you, what your life might be about, what your marriage might look like, what your career path might look like, who your friends would be. Maybe, maybe you've dreamed. Am I catching anybody that maybe you've had some thoughts along this path? So Joseph has a dream. I want you to write down that word dream. Dream. Joseph has a dream. He's young, he's optimistic, and Joseph has a dream. And then life starts to happen. I mean, he's 17, right? Ever met a 17-year-old with a dream? Ever been a 17-year-old with a dream? <laughs> he's got a dream, and then life starts to happen. And with life, as life starts to happen, for Joseph, what happens for Joseph is what happens to you. I'm sure that you've noticed once life starts to happen, there's a change of direction. There's a change of direction. I want you to write that down. There's a change of direction. There's a change of direction. If you, if you read through the rest of Joseph's story, he, uh, his brothers are far off. They're 
taking care of the flocks and his dad says, hey, I want you to go check in with your brothers and bring back a report to me about how they're doing. So Joseph goes on a hike and he tries to find them. They see him a far way off and they're like, man, here comes the dreamer. We thought we got away from him out here in the fields. We're not home, but at least we're not with him. Anybody had a brother? No, I'm kidding. They see him from a far way off and they're like, hey, let's kill him. Here's our chance. And the oldest brother speaks up. He's not real in for that. He's like, okay, I can't hold all my, back, all my brothers back from this. I gotta come up with plan B though. And he says, let's not kill him. Let's put him in a hole, in a pit, like that, and just keep him there and then we'll figure out what to do with him. So he comes, they throw him in this pit. They don't kill him. And uh, he's in this pit. And then the oldest brother goes out with the sheep. While he's gone, these merchants come by their camp. And one of the other older of the brothers, his name's Judah, he sees the opportunity and he says, hey, wait a second. If we kill Joseph, we don't get anything. If we can sell him, we can make some cash out of this deal. So while the older brother who's trying to save Joseph is gone, the younger brothers who really don't like him, they sell him. They sell him off to be a slave. And so Joseph has a dream, and all of a sudden his life is changing directions. He is, finds himself in a pit, and that's not fun. Um, maybe you haven't been in a pit, but you've been in a pit. And it's not fun. And then uh, now he's sold to uh, these merchants who are going all the way to Egypt. And they're of one nationality. They get to Egypt, now they sell them to Egyptians. So he's changing nations, he's changing hands. There's a lot of change of direction. The next 20 years or so of Joseph's life is a story of constant change of direction. First he's home, then he's in a pit, then he's with merchants, then he's in Egypt. And in Egypt, they give him to a powerful guy in Egypt and his name's Potiphar. And Potiphar's this powerful guy and Joseph's real, a real good servant to him. So he elevates Joseph into number two in his house. And Joseph's doing great, everything's going great. He was, he was at the bottom, now he's here, you know? So we're doing good so far. He's kind of making the best with what he has. Thank you for the one person who laughed at that reference. And, then uh, Potiphar's wife, she really likes Joseph, and she tries, she tries to get with Joseph. But Joseph's a good man, and he's like, I'm not going to do that, and like, we're not going down that way. So she tries to corner him, and he runs, but she snags his coat. So now she's got his coat, and so she goes to her husband, Potiphar, this powerful Egyptian guy, and is like, hey, look what your servant tried to do. He left his coat in my room. Good thing I screamed so loud. And so Potiphar is not happy. Potiphar throws Joseph from all of a sudden way up here. Now Joseph's in jail. The pit. Lots of changes of direction, okay? So he's in jail, long story short. He's in jail for a long, long time. Then he ends up having a meeting with Pharaoh. Pharaoh really likes him. And not only does he go past Potiphar to Pharaoh, but he goes number two under Pharaoh. So there's a lot of changes of direction. There's a lot of changes of direction, ups and downs and lefts and rights. He has a dream, but things don't go the way he thought they were going to go with this dream. There's changes of direction. Maybe you've ever, maybe you've had a change of direction in your life. Things haven't followed the path that you thought they were going to go with those thoughts that we talked about earlier, those things you imagined earlier. Maybe it was so clear when you thought about it, but there's been some changes of direction. And when you start with a dream and you have changes of direction, you end up having a lot of opportunity for disappointment. I want you to write that down, disappointment. When you start with a dream and the direction starts changing, there's a lot of opportunity for disappointment. Joseph had a dream, and you can't have a dream without some expectation. Some expectation about what needs to happen, 
how it needs to happen, who it needs to happen with, and when this dream needs to happen. But the direction wasn't following the dream. And disappointment, disappointment lives. Disappointment lives in that land between your expectations and your reality. And sometimes that's a really broad field. Maybe it's just me. Lots of opportunity for disappointment. Life doesn't include the people you thought it was going to include. It doesn't include the places that you thought it would include. It doesn't include the positions that you thought it would include. But there's two disappointments that Joseph comes up with again and again in his life that I think we come up with again and again. And I think that they're disappointments that can really derail us. Yes, there's people that disappoint us. There's places that don't happen. There's positions that fall through. But there's two that I want to talk about that might be two of the most immobilizing ones when you're trying to follow your dream, when you're trying to pursue a calling. And the first one is the disappointment of timing. Timing. The Bible doesn't make it really clear what Joseph's timing was in his head on this dream when it all started, but, but I, I think I can say safely for a fact that I know the time frame that he had in his head wasn't as long as the time frame it took in real life. Because no 17-year-old thinks it's going to take more than about two to three years tops to make that thing happen. Am I right? No one goes to jail for no reason, all geared up for that to take a while. I don't know how many people would say, I don't know how many people uh, that I know, I don't know if I've ever talked to somebody who would say that they're in the middle of their dream or that they're even on the way to their dream and they would say, yeah, this is all taking exactly the time I thought it would take. Nobody I know has ever said, man, this all just happened so much faster than I thought it would. Timing, timing. The second disappointment that Joseph comes up with again and again and again is other people's dreams, other people's dreams. See, if you follow Joseph's story through a lot of these chapters that we're skipping, he, he keeps coming up against other people's dreams. And it might not sound good to say this, but I believe that, again, maybe it's just me, but maybe one of the biggest disappointments that you face in your life, that you have faced in your life, or that you feel like you're consistently facing in your life is when other people's dreams comes true and yours doesn't. It's disappointing. It makes you ask a lot of questions. It's frustrating. And not only does Joseph find himself in these positions where he's engaged now in other people's dreams, he's finding himself in a position not just to see other people's dreams, but to serve other people's dreams. He's got a dream. But now he's in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar has a dream. He's a mighty man. And then Joseph ends up in jail, and he becomes the number two guy in jail. The jailer really likes him. The jailer's got a dream. He wants to be a great jailer. And now Joseph's helping the jailer. All of a sudden, there's some other prisoners, and they have some dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams, and their dreams come true, and then they forget Joseph. And then finally, Pharaoh calls him out of jail to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh's dream starts to come true. It's just surrounded by other people's dreams while carrying his own. So as Joseph is going down the road of life, as you're going down the road of life, the direction changes and you're faced with disappointment. And when you're faced with disappointment, 
you are required to make some decisions. So write that down, decisions. Your disappointment requires decisions. And the decision is pretty simple because it's all surrounded around really the same decision, this one decision in your disappointment. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do? You're disappointed. Okay, can't change that. What are you going to do? Is the decision that you have to make. What's Joseph going to do? Now he's in Potiphar's house. What's he going to do? He's in jail. What's he going to do? He's in Pharaoh's house now. He's in Pharaoh's council. What are you going to do, Joseph? I want to tell you this morning that the decisions that you make in your disappointment don't just determine what you do. They show who you are. The decisions that you make in disappointment, they feel, all, they feel like it's all about what are you going to do. But it's really a discovery of who you really are. Who you really are comes out in the decisions you make when you are disappointed. And so we find out who Joseph is as he's making decisions in the midst of his disappointment. In Potiphar's house, Joseph decided that he was going to be faithful to Potiphar and faithful to Potiphar's vision. And he built up Potiphar's house. He stayed away from Potiphar's wife. He said, I'm going to serve this vision that I find myself a part of. He's in jail, and Joseph decides that he's going to be a faithful prisoner. And all of a sudden, he starts getting put in charge of stuff for the jailer. And then again, like I said, there's these two prisoners that have dreams. And they come to him, and they wake up one morning, and they're all puzzled. And they're like, man, we had these dreams. We don't know what they mean. And Joseph has a decision. I'm going to step in. I, I, I know interpretations of dreams, so I'll step in. And he gives them their, their interpretations of dreams. He serves them by interpreting their dreams, and the dreams come true. One of them uh, was going to die, and that happens. One of them was going to get set free, and that guy was supposed to come back and remind Pharaoh, hey, uh, Joseph's like, hey, remember me? Like, put in a good word with the big guy, not the drought. Like, I told you that was going to happen, and then it did. Like, and the guy spaces it somehow. Good friend. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And then he had the opportunity to talk to Pharaoh, and he decided not to be bitter to Pharaoh for putting him in prison for all these years and keeping him in prison and not going to be bitter towards Pharaoh's cupbearer who should have came back. I'm not going to be bitter at the disappointments that have said, I'm just going to be present in this situation. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to, I'm going to decide to do what I can do. And Pharaoh says, I had this dream. And Joseph says, God can interpret dreams. And so Joseph steps in. These are tough decisions made in disappointment. And they didn't just determine what, what Joseph did. They were shaping who Joseph was. And it's fascinating in our lives. It's fascinating when you look at your own life or anybody else's life, how disappointment about circumstances can so quickly destroy a person. It is fascinating how a disappointment about circumstances can so quickly destroy a person. What you do in response to your disappointment oftentimes determines who you will be on the other side of that disappointment. Because you're going to get to the other side. We're going to get there. But who are you going to be on the other side of that disappointment? Disappointment leads to decisions. There's one more journey, one more step on this journey that Joseph is on. But before I go there, before we go to kind of the last stop here, um, I would imagine that maybe some of you are sitting there thinking the same thing that you've been thinking the last few weeks. Maybe the same thing that you thought at Life Group this week. Andrew, that's all awesome. This is great stuff. Amen and praise the Lord. Listen to all those Ds. The alliteration's on point this week. Way to go. 
This is great, Andrew, but I still have the same problem that I had at the beginning of all of this. The difference between me and Joseph is that Joseph had a dream. Still don't know what to do. He knew his calling. God gave him a dream. I don't know my calling. God hasn't given me a dream. This is fun and all, but it's not helping. I'm just gonna go ahead and assume that that's actually ringing true because I can hear it. I can hear it. We haven't actually answered the question. But before we get to this last bit, I wanna, again, challenge you. I wanna question you this morning on the concept of your calling that you don't think you're clear about. I wanna question your concept this morning. See, Joseph had a dream, but Joseph wasn't called to his dream. Joseph was not called to his dream. Joseph was called to his destiny. And I I want you to write that down. I know it's another D word and this is getting ridiculous and that might not be a word that you're all fired up about and you're like, I'm not gonna cheer for a word like destiny just because it's destiny, but track with me on this because it's gonna make a whole lot of sense and it does start with D, so it works. Joseph wasn't called to his dream. He was called for a destiny. So listen to this. In chapter 37, Joseph has a dream. And then if you turn to chapter 45, go ahead and turn a few pages to chapter 45. Joseph has a dream in 37, but in 40, and then in 45, the dream he had comes true. After all this time, all these ups and downs, changes of direction, disappointments, dis- the dream comes true. I'm good, thank you. Where am I at here? The dream, and okay, so the, the dream comes true in chapter 45, and the dream looks really different in reality than it looked in his sleep. It looks really different when it actually comes true. In chapter 45, I want to read verses one through eight with me. It says this, then Joseph, so okay, so what's happened here is uh, there's a famine that has happened. Joseph told Pharaoh it was going to happen because of Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh says, wow, you're real smart. You should be in charge of everything. And Joseph says, okay, so God's telling you for seven years the crops are going to be amazing, and then for seven years they're going to be real bad. And Pharaoh's like, cool, you're in charge for all this time. So for the next seven years, you store up all the food for this nation so that when the famine comes, we're ready. So Pharaoh or Joseph comes out of jail. He's number two to Pharaoh. He's over like the whole country now. And he's organizing their storehouses for the seven-year famine that is to come. The seven years of surplus happen. The seven-year of famine happens, and it's all around the world. And so Egypt is doing well because Joseph decided to be faithful in the midst of all of his questions. So that's good. Egypt is doing great. All the other nations are really struggling. They're really struggling because they weren't prepared. So now nations from all the other, or all the people from other nations are coming to Egypt to buy Egypt's grain because they're the only ones that have it. This includes Joseph's brothers and his dad way back in whereverville where he got sent away from. They're struggling by famine. So they obviously, they, they don't know that Joseph is still alive. They thought he's long gone. His dad really thought he was long gone because after the whole selling episode, they took that special coat he had, cut it up into a bunch of pieces, dipped it in goat's blood and took it to dad. And they're like, sorry, man, he's gone. He got attacked by a wild animal or something. And they're like, that's the last of him. So they have no idea that all this stuff we've been talking about is happening with Joseph. They thought that was over. That dreamer was gone, right? Okay, told you, we're covering a lot. So, Joseph's brothers and his dad Jacob are hungry. And they hear Egypt has grain. They don't know Joseph's in Egypt, they just know grain is in Egypt. So Jacob says, hey, sons, go to Egypt and buy some grain. 
And so they go and they buy grain. They end up talking to Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph. Joseph knows, and there's like four chapters of all kinds of stuff that happened. Go back and read it sometime. It's interesting. The point is, the dream has come true. Joseph is now number two in Egypt, and all of a sudden his brothers come, and they don't know it's him, but now they're on their faces around him asking him for food. And it's happening. The brothers are all bowing down to him. So in chapter 45, the dream is coming true. And we read about how Joseph responds because this is important that the dream was different. Like I said, it was different in reality than it was when he dreamt it. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. This dream that he had where everybody was gonna come serve him, it's happening and now he's just heartbroken. He's filled with compassion. He's filled with love. He's weeping. He's like, guys, I just, you're serving me, but really, I just missed you. How's dad? Verse four, he says, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold to Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, a lord of his house, and a ruler over the land of Egypt. Okay, so he's weeping. He's finally seen his brothers. The dream is coming true. And when he saw the dream come true, he realized that it was all about the destiny. When the dream came true, the destiny became clear. He said, you didn't send me here to kill me. God sent me here to save you. And if you look in chapter 46, one chapter over, verses two and three, they have this whole dialogue and Joseph's like, dad's still alive, that's amazing. You gotta go back home, tell him and everybody, like our whole nation, tell him, everybody come to Egypt. I'm gonna give you the best land. We're gonna make it through. So they go back and they're like, dad, turns out Joseph's alive. We don't get a whole lot of dialogue that went back around that conversation, but I can only imagine. So they're like, we gotta move to Egypt. And Jacob's like, I need to see my son. So they're going, and in chapter 46, verse 2, Jacob is now on his way to Egypt. And God spoke to Israel, who's the other name for Jacob, in visions of the night. Jacob has a dream. And God said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for for there I will make you into a great nation. And God gives Jacob a dream. I'm the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. There I will make you a great nation. Still zooming out here. All throughout the Old Testament, God would describe himself. He would come to people, and when he was announcing who he was, he would say, I am the God of your fathers. I'm the, God of, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
God was signifying who, who he was to people. And he, he would call himself this because when God was saying, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, I'm the God of Jacob, he's saying, I, I'm the God of promise. The reason he would start with Abraham is because way back when, God wanted to show himself to the whole world. And so to show himself to the whole world, he knew he was going to have to use one nation to demonstrate himself through so that he could show to the whole world what happens when one walks in the blessing of God so that everybody else would look around and be like, man, we need that. And it's like, come on in. So God calls this guy Abraham. And he gives Abraham this promise. He says, Abraham, I need you to leave where you're going. I need you to take you, I need to take you where I'm taking you. And I'm going to make you a great nation. Through you, all the families of the earth are gonna be blessed. Okay, so Abraham gets a promise that he's gonna be a nation. Abraham has a son, his name's Isaac, and Abraham passes the promise down to Isaac. Isaac has a son, and his son is Jacob. Isaac passes the promise that God gave Abraham, that God gave Isaac, he's now giving it to Jacob. Now Jacob has 12 sons. Joseph being one of them. And just like Jacob has inherited this promise, they are supposed to inherit the promise. They're supposed to take it from one now to 12. They're supposed to start multiplying it from an individual to a nation because how many of you know when God blesses you, it's not just for you. He's trying to show through one what he wants to do for everyone. There's a promise. There's, there's this thing happening. You see, Jacob has these 12 sons, and there's 12, and then there's kind of a bigger story going on. Like, there's these 12, later on, there's like these 12 apostles maybe you've heard of. And in Revelation, there's like these 12 gemstones that the kingdom of God is founded on. There's like these 12 elders who are sit on 12 thrones. Like, there's a story. Jacob has a dream. Jacob has a dream. Now, I'm no rocket scientist, but if you're trying to build a nation, it's really hard to do that if everybody starves to death. So God is trying to build a nation so that he can show through one who he is to everyone. Okay, so I've talked a lot. We're getting there. This has been pretty thick, and we're not done yet, but you are doing great. And so we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get there to the end of this. I promise you, you're going to walk away with something at the end of all of this. I want you to write this down. My whole point is this, is that Joseph's dream was not about Joseph. Joseph's dream was about Jacob. Joseph's dream that he'd been carrying this whole time that God had given him, it wasn't about Joseph. It was actually about Jacob. Joseph's dream was serving a destiny. It was serving God's dream. It was serving God's glory. It was serving God so that God could be known to the nations. It was serving the nations so that they could know God. I wanna challenge you this morning. If you're feeling unclear about your calling and suggest to you that maybe your problem isn't a clarity of calling, it's the concept of your calling. Your calling is not your dream. Your calling is your destiny. You are destined to know God. You are destined to be used by him in, in your life and around the world. You are, part, you are destined to be part of what God's doing in the world. You are destined to be with him for eternity. That is what you are called to. You're not called to your dreams. I want to challenge the concept of your calling. The first challenge I want to give you, write this down, is that your calling is way more about where you end up than where you start. If you're in your 20s, write that down big. 
Your calling is way more about where you end up than where you start. Joseph's calling was not about the dream he started with. It was about the destiny that he didn't even know he was serving all along the way. Your calling is not defined by the dream that you're starting with. Your calling is found in the destiny that you are serving. And most of the time, the best way to get clear on what your next step is, is to get clear on where you're trying to end up. You're feeling unclear about your next step. Have you thought about what the end goal is? Let's start there. Think about where you're going to end up, not just where you are. That's the first concept I want to challenge you on. The second challenge is this, is that I think we really need to consider ditching this narrow concept of waiting for God to speak this highly specified, incredibly individualistic idea of God's unique calling on my life. Because it immobilizes us. It immobilizes us while we wait, because when, when it's like about God's calling on my great life, then I have to sit here and wait for everybody and everything to start lining up with my call before I can do anything. But you're ready. You're ready. This might hurt a little bit at first, but I promise it'll set you free. Your calling's not about you. It's really good news. Your calling's not about you. Your calling is to serve God and people. God and people are not called to serve you. I think there's a reason that we, so, we feel so unclear about our calling, and I think it's because we don't have the right concept of our calling. God may give you dreams, specific dreams in your life. I pray he does. Let's go for it. He may give you dreams, but the destiny does not change. It never changes. You, I pray, and we'll just, let's ask God for clear next steps on what we should do in our life. But at the same time, the end game is always the same. We are called to love God. We are called to love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength, everything inside of us. We're called to love people. We're called to love our neighbor like ourselves. We're called to make disciples of Jesus. That's what we're called to. That's always the end game. You are always called to that. Always. You don't need to live your life discovering your dreams. You can find your life in deconstructing your destiny. You don't need to find, spend your life trying to discover your dreams. Live your life deconstructing your destiny. Here's what I mean by that. We're going hard and fast because, like I said, this is taking a long time, but it's, I don't know. And I'm going to talk to you like you're men and women of God anointed to bring the kingdom. All right? I want you to look at what happens when you start with destiny instead of starting with your dream. When your calling is in destiny, write that down, calling in destiny. When your calling is in your destiny, then you're always cemented in. You're clear. I'm here to love Jesus I'm here to love others. I'm here to make disciples. The Bible could not be more clear about your calling. You don't need to be unclear anymore because you're cemented in this destiny that God has put on your life. When your calling is in your destiny, you're going to have clarity in your decisions. Write that down. Clarity in your decisions. You don't have to fear failing because you can't fail. Whatever you do, you're just going to end up being there to love Jesus, love people, and make disciples. You don't have to worry about the results of all of your decisions because no matter how it goes, wherever I end up because of this A or B thing, I'm going to end up there somewhere and I'm going to be loving Jesus. I'm going to love people 
and I'm going to make disciples. You don't have to be immobilized by the insecurity and the stress and the unknown of what if I pick A and I was supposed to choose B? Or what if I choose B and I was supposed to pick A? And again, if you're in your 20s, I know you think about this every day if you're anything remotely closely similar to me. Like, I've got A and B in front of me. And, oh God, please don't let there be like C, D, E, F, and G. I've got A and B. And I better get this one right because whichever one I pick, I'm locked in forever. And this is it. Don't screw this one up, Andrew. I'm going to assume you're laughing because you know what it feels like. You don't have to be immobilized. You don't have to be stressed out. You don't have to be paralyzed by that fear. You just get to look at A and B, and you get to go through the, you get to go look at them through your destiny and say, okay, well, I've got A and B. Which one's going to help me love Jesus, love people, and make disciples more? And maybe A and B both let you do those things fairly well as far as you can tell. Pick one. And then whichever one you go down the road with, while you're going down that road, love Jesus, love people, and make some disciples. And if you weren't supposed to pick B and you did pick B, but you're trying to love Jesus and love people and make disciples along the way, guess what God's gonna do along the way? He's just gonna, oh, we were supposed to go with A. All right, we're still just loving Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. You're gonna have clarity in your decisions because some of the things that are fogging up your decisions right now really don't need to be. You're making some of your decisions about things that they're not about. They're not about your calling. Your calling is the same. Your calling is rooted in the destiny that you're serving. Love Jesus, love people, make disciples. And when you have clarity in your decisions, it's gonna allow you to have consistency in disappointment. Write that down, consistency in disappointment. I, maybe it's just me. But I want that. I want that. When you get disappointed. When. When. Everybody say when. Everybody say when I. When I. When I get dis disappointed. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. There's going to be a gap between some expectations and some reality. When things don't go as expected, when people change that you didn't want to change, when positions disappear, when places don't happen, when times don't cooperate, when you find yourself around other people's dreams coming true and not yours, when you find yourself serving other people's visions, when you thought this was about yours, disappointment will come, but you can still be consistent. You can still be consistent when your calling is in your destiny because your expectations might get derailed, but nothing can derail your destiny. It still hurts. It's still disappointing, but it doesn't derail you. I can still love Jesus. I can still love people, and I can still make disciples in my disappointment. When you're disappointed, when you're disappointed, when you're disappointed, your, your calling, being rooted in your destiny, is going to give you context for your direction. Context for your direction. Write that down. Context for your direction. Because now, when your direction, change, when your direction changes, when the direction of those circumstances change, when the direction of that relationship changes, when that role changes direction that you thought was going to go this way, but now it's going that way, it might still hurt, like it might still be disappointing. It, it, it might still not be your preference, and that's okay. 
You might still not understand it, but just because your direction has changed doesn't mean your destiny has changed. Now, it used to be so stressful when the direction changed because when the direction changed, you had to question your calling. That thing you were so sure about, the thing that made you pick this direction in the first place, now it changed, now everything changed. I'm freaking out. Now you have context for when your direction changes. It's still hard, still has questions, but it lives here and not there. Maybe you felt that before, maybe it's just me. See, it gives you context for your direction. And when your direction changes, you don't have to swirl down the drain of the two deadly words, now what? Because that's what happens when the direction, oh, now what? And you just find yourself Swirling, swirling. You still have questions. You still need answers. And your calling is still clear. Your calling is still clear. Maybe your direction changed. And maybe now you're pretty disappointed in something. But you can still make your own decisions. This isn't what I expected. This is not what I preferred. This was not what I hoped for, but I can still do what I am called to do. I can still love Jesus. I can still love people, and I can still make disciples. I can still make disciples. And now that we've done all of this, now that we've deconstructed from destiny, our destiny is clear. Our calling is in our destiny. Now we're making clear decisions. We have consistency in our disappointment. I have context now for when my direction changes. Now that I have all of that, I am free to carry my dreams. Now you can carry your dreams. And the reason you can carry your dreams now is because now they aren't so darn heavy. Because they're not carrying the weight of your direction. They're not carrying the weight of your decisions. They're not carrying the weight of your disappointment. And they're not carrying the weight of your destiny. They aren't about you, so you don't have to sustain them. They don't define you, so you don't have to complete them. And they don't serve you, so you're just free to serve God. And since they don't serve you, you don't have to wait on them either. If you have a dream, praise God. Whatever that dream is, love Jesus, love people, and make disciples. If you don't have a dream, praise God. You get it easy. Just love Jesus, love people, and make disciples. Can I tell you this morning, you don't need more clarity on your calling. You need an adjustment to your concept of calling. The devil's been lying to you, telling you, you don't know what to do. And it's freezing you. And it's terrifying you. And it's paralyzing you. 
But you don't have to listen to the devil anymore. You get to listen to the word of the Lord over your life right here, right now. I've been praying all week, God, break off some chains, set us free, get us out of the cement that we feel like we've been stuck in. The cement is wet. The things that you thought you were cemented in your past, the cement is wet. You can step out. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm saying you're not stuck. Do not hold back. You are ready. You know what to do. Let's worship God. Stand up. Are you encouraged this morning? I told you we'd get there. All right. Come back in February for the nine-part series. <laughs> it's time to move, guys. It's time to move. It's time to move. And we're going to worship to a song called Who You Say I Am. We've sung it the last couple of weeks. We've sung it a lot of times before, but it needs to be a song of declaration over your life, over your past, over your present, and over your future. You know who you are because you know who God says you are. And there's been some things that you've been waiting for to happen in your life that you don't need to wait for it to happen. You need to start making some decisions. If you've got questions, you need to go to God because he's got it clear. If you've got disappointments, you need to go to God. If you've got decisions you need to make, go to God. If you want a calling on your life, go to God. But in the meantime, you still know what to do. Love Jesus, love people, and make disciples. Do not hold back. You are ready and you know what to do. We're gonna have some people off to the side like we always do. We're running a few minutes late, but it's all good. And if there's something in your life, if there's something, like I just, I don't know, I can't help but get the picture of like just unnecessary weights and you just need to let it go. You need to let it go. And it's coming in the flip, the flip from being led by dreams to being led by destiny. You gotta be cemented in the destiny. You gotta be rooted in your destiny and let the dreams follow. Don't let them be so heavy. If you need to shed something this morning, Go get somebody to pray with you. Throw it off. Write it down. Throw it in the trash. Do something cheesy and symbolic because it's powerful. It's cheesy for a reason, right? It's a cliche for a reason. You got to let some stuff go. You got to make the decision. You got to decide to believe right here, right now. You can decide to believe right here, right now. I know what to do. I know what to do. I know what to do. A and B still exist, but regardless, I know what to do. I know what to do. Pray with us. Pray for us. Would you close your eyes and let's believe God to move in our few moments left together. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm asking right now that you would come and cement this into our hearts. Lord, we give up. Lord, we let you get your hands on our concept of our calling right now. God, would you bring us clarity in our concept of what we're called to? Lord, I'm asking that you would mobilize us, that you would empower us right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Show us the things that are unnecessary weights. I'm not saying they don't matter. They just don't have to weigh so much. Would you set us free in these moments as we worship? I will sing to the Lord most high. In Jesus' name, amen.